Part two, chapter six of Riceman's Steps by Arnold Bennett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anthony Ogus. The next day. The next morning, before the first church bells had begun to ring for early communion, and before the sun had decided whether or not it would shine upon Riceman's Square and Steps that day, Violet very silently came out of the bedroom and drew the door to without a sound. Even the latch was not permitted to click. She was wearing her neat check frock, the frock of industry, and she carried in her hand a large blue pinafore apron, clean and folded, and an old pair of gloves. Her hair in a large cap was as hidden as a nun's. Her face had the expression, and her whole vivacious body the demeanour, of one who is dominated by a grandiose idea, and utterly determined to execute it. She went upstairs, in the raw chilly twilight, to the narrow room over the bathroom, which in her mind she called the kitchen, not because it was a kitchen, but because it alone in the house served the purpose of a kitchen. Elsie, her hair still loose, was already there, boiling water on the gas ring. The jets of blue flame helped to light the place, and also comfortably warmed it and made it cosy. Violet greeted the girl with a kindly smile, which was entirely matter-of-fact, as though this morning was a morning just like any other morning. "'Your master's fast asleep,' she solemnly whispered. From her tone she might have been saying, "'Our master.' "'Yes, ma'am,' Elsie whispered solemnly. And it was instantly established that the basic phenomenon of the household was their master's heavy and sacred slumber. "'I'll have some of that tea, too,' said Violet. "'What is there for dinner?' She had expressly refrained from showing any curiosity whatever about domestic arrangements until she should have acquired the status entitling her to take charge. No one could be more discreet, more correct on important occasions than Violet. "'He told me to buy this bit of mutton,' answered Elsie, indicating a scrag end on a plate. "'And then there's them potatoes and the cheese.' "'But how shall you cook it?' "'Boil it, Mum. He never has flesh meat. Not often, that is. But when he does, I boil it.' "'Oh, well, that will be all right. Of course I shall have to fix things up here, Elsie.' we may as well begin as we mean to go on yes ma'am and you know my ways don't you that's fortunate yes ma'am while they were drinking the tea and eating pieces of bread violet nicely pretending to be elsie's equal in the sight of god and elsie gently firm in maintaining the theory of the impassableness of the social chasm which separated them violet said i'm sure we shall understand one another elsie of course you've been here on and off for a long while and you've got your little habits here and quite right too and i've no doubt very good habits because i'm convinced you're very conscientious in your work if you hadn't been i shouldn't have kept you but we've got to start afresh in this house haven't we oh yes ma'am elsie eagerly concurred yes and the first thing to do is to get straight and tidy i know it's sunday and I'm as much for rest in church as anybody, and I hope you'll go to church yourself every Sunday evening regular. But tradespeople aren't like others, and they can't be. There's certain things that can only be done on Sundays in a place of business, 
same as they have to lay railway lines on Sundays, you see. And what's more, I'm one of those that can't rest until what has to be done is done. They do say, the better the day, the better the deeds, don't they? Now all those books lying about on the floor and so on everywhere, they've got to be put right. Master used to say so, ma'am, but somehow... Yes, Violet broke in, anticipating some implied criticism of the master. Yes, but of course he simply hasn't been able to do it. He's been dreadfully overworked as it is. Now there's all those books in the bathroom to begin with. I'm going to have them in the top front room, next to yours, you know. I wish there were some spare shelves, but I suppose we must arrange the books on the floor. There's a lot of shelves slanting down the cellar steps, ma'am said Elsie, with the joy of the bringer of glad tidings. Oh, I didn't know we had a cellar. Oh, yes, ma'am, there's a cellar. Violet enveloped herself in the pinafore apron and put on the gloves. The bride on her honeymoon and the girl crept softly downstairs, and one by one, with miraculous success in the avoidance of any sound, the planks, there were no more than planks, were transported from the bottom of the house to the top. No uprights for the shelves could be discovered, but Violet, whose natural ingenuity had been intensified by the resistless force of her grandiose idea, improvised supports for the shelves out of a lot of shabby old volumes of the illustrated London news. She laid a shelf on three perpendicular tomes, one at either end and one in the middle, and then three more tomes on the shelf, and then another shelf on them, and so on, till the whole of the empty wall in the front room was a bookcase ready to receive books. Violet was well pleased, and Elsie marvelled at Violet's magical creative power. The house was sealed up from the world, not a door open, not a window open. Hours passed, the sun coldly shone, the faint jangle of church bells was the only sound within the house where the two devotees laboured in a tiptoeing silence upstairs and downstairs while the master reposed unconscious. Violet filled Elsie's stout apron with books and bearing a handful of books herself followed her upstairs. The books were ranged. The devotees descended again. The work was simplified by the fact that the vacuum cleaners had remedied the worst disorder on the previous day. They had, for example, emptied the bath of all its learning. At intervals, Violet listened anxiously at the bedroom door. Once she peeped in. No sign of life. And the devotees were happy because in their rage of constructive energy they had contrived not to wake the master. The bathroom was cleared. The chief obstructions on the stairs were cleared, and there was still some space available on the improvised shelves. "'We'll move on to that dark corner of the shop floor by the stairs,' said Violet, triumphing more and more. This decision meant still more stair-climbing. When Elsie, breathless, had lifted the first load out of the shop to the top floor, Violet said thoughtfully as she emptied the apron, "'I suppose your master is still asleep. "'Does he ring? Is there a bell?' "'Yes, there's a bell, Mum, but it's been out of order ever since I was here, "'and I don't know where it would ring if it wasn't out of order. "'He's never slept like this before, Mum.' 
anxiety passed across their intent faces. Such sleeping was unnatural. Then they heard his footsteps on the stairs. He had gone down into the shop, probably into his office. "'Better go and make some more tea,' said Violet gravely. "'Yes, ma'am.' The bride preceded the girl down the stairs. She felt suddenly guilty in well-doing. She wondered whether she was a ministering angel or a criminal. Henry stood in the bright, clean shop, gazing at the disturbed corner from which books had been taken. "'My dear, you're ruining my business,' he said mildly and blandly. "'Henry!' She stopped near the foot of the stairs, as it were thunderstruck by a revelation. "'You don't understand how much of it depends on me having lots of books lying about, as if there weren't anything at all. That's just what book collectors like. If everything was shipshape, they wouldn't look twice at the place. Whenever they see a pile of books in the dark, they think there must be bargains. He did not say he was sure she meant for the best, nor praise her enterprise and energy. He merely stated baldly, simply, quietly, impartially, dispassionately, a psychological fact and he asked no questions. "'Oh, Henry, I never thought of that. I'm so sorry.' And she, for her part, did not try to justify herself. In her self-confident ignorance she had sinned. His perfect tranquillity intimidated her, and he was so disturbingly sure of his position. He stood there in his neat blue Sunday suit, with the necktie hiding all the shirt front, and the shirt-cuffs quite invisible, and his leather slippers, and his trim greying beard, and full heavy crimson lips, and his little eyes, rather fatigued now, and he put the plain truth before her, neither accusing nor excusing. She saw that, witless, she had been endangering the security of their joint future. She felt as though she had had the narrowest escape from actually ruining the business. In her vivacity and her proud carriage, she was humbled. She came forward and took his hand. "'How cold your hand is, darling!' She had never called the late Mr. Arb, darling. She had called him old Josser and things like that. "'That's cold water,' said he. "'You ought to have warm water to wash in.' He laughed grimly. She knew that so long as the gas meter clicked, he would never allow her to heat water on the gas ring for him. He bent and kissed her and kept his mouth on hers for ages of eternity. They were happy together. They were bound to be happy together. As for her, she would be happy in yielding her will to his, in adopting all his ideas and being even more royalist than the king. Her glance fell. She experienced a sensuous pleasure in the passionate resolution to be his disciple and lieutenant. When Elsie, celestially benevolent, appeared with a tray on the stairs, Violet seized her husband's arm to lead him to the back room. And as she did so, she bridled and slightly swayed her body, and gave a sidelong glance at Elsie, as if saying, "'I am his slave, but I own him.' and he belongs to no woman but me. "'Elsie,' she said sternly, "'you'd better bring that last lot of books down again. 
Mr. Earl Forward thinks they should stay where they were. The indisputable fiat of the Sultan, published by his vizier. Yes, ma'am. She sat him down in his desk chair, and as she dispensed his tea, she fluttered round him like a whole flock of doves. Let me see, said he with amiable detachment. Did you give me the account of that one pound you had for spending yesterday? Outside, London was bestirring itself from the vast coma of Sunday morning, but inside the sealed house London did not exist. This was the end of the honeymoon, or, if you prefer it, their life was one long honeymoon. End of chapter 6 End of part 2